All right. Hey, everyone, really, really glad you are here. Man, if you are new to Christ Community or you're exploring who Jesus is or you've walked with him for years, we are really glad all of you are here. We're really, we're just a, we're a group of a pretty ordinary people um, who love Jesus and are grateful for all that he's done in our lives. Now, one of the things that happens when you experience Jesus' love in a real way is that you want other people to experience that as well, right? You want your friends or neighbors or family members. We want other people to experience the love and the forgiveness and the hope and the life that we have experienced in Jesus, which is awesome. But if we're honest, you know, it also creates this very real uh, tension inside. You know, how do we share about and invite people into the life that Jesus offers without it feeling awkward or like a sales pitch or without the person feeling like they're a project? Have you ever had this experience? Someone calls you, you haven't heard from them in quite a while, and they call you and say, hey, let's get together for coffee. Like, okay, that'd be great. And I just want to catch up. And so you get there for coffee, and in about 10 minutes, you realize, this is a sales call. You know, they're going to try to, they're trying to sell me something, you know, and it just feels so slimy, like this bait and switch thing. Um, and so, so often, that's how people have experienced Christians trying to share about Jesus. And, and by the way, let me just say, if that has been your experience, if when someone has tried to share with you about Jesus, it has made you feel like a project or a pressured sales victim, I am truly sorry. I am truly sorry. That is not God's heart. Again, this really is kind of the dilemma. We want people to experience this amazing person of Jesus, but we don't want to come across like a, like a, a, a salesperson. So what often happens is we assume that sharing Jesus is just for other people um, who are comfortable going door to door or having awkward conversations or whatever, but not, it's just not for us. But what if I told you that being a part of the mission of Jesus does not require you to become a salesperson for the gospel. Um, in fact, what we see in the life of Jesus is a completely different approach, one that all of us can be a part of. Introvert, extrovert, doesn't matter. There, there, there is a way that we can help others explore and find this Jesus that we serve and love. And not surprisingly, Jesus is the one who actually shows us how. He shows us how. I mean, within just a, a, a period of three years on earth, Jesus, I mean, his ministry was lasted three years. And in a period of just three years, Jesus created a movement that literally changed the world. So how did he do that? Well, as we've been saying in this series that we're in, this teaching series, he did it one meal at a time. One meal at a time. In a society that, where, where meals separated people, right, the religious from the, the, the outcast, the rich from the poor, in that society where the meal separated people, Jesus saw the table as a place of welcome, a place of interaction with all sorts of people from religious leaders to those who would never darken the door of a, of a synagogue. Jesus shared meals with strangers, with sex workers, with corrupt businessmen, and in doing so, Jesus changed the world one meal at a time. In the book of Luke, 
It's one of the gospel accounts of Jesus' life in the New Testament. In the book of Luke, there are, there are like 50 references to Jesus eating. As one person has said, most of the book of Luke describes Jesus either going to a meal, enjoying a meal, or coming from a meal. I love this guy, right? Uh, I love this guy. But, but the reason the, 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 but the reason for all of this eating and drinking is mentioned in the accounts of Jesus' life is not simply because Jesus liked a good party. You know? No, this was, a, this was actually a key part of his strategy. So in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, a very important verse. If you're exploring Christianity, this is like a critical verse because it describes Jesus in his own words gives his mission. He gives his life purpose. So read this with me. Luke 19, verse 10. We'll put it on the screen. Read this out loud with me. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Okay, that's Jesus' purpose. Son of Man is just a title for Jesus, a messianic title for Jesus. That's his life mission, to seek and to save the lost. Now, I know that word lost can be kind of, for some people, it feels offensive to some people. And I, I totally get that. But think about it. When you think about this word, lost, it actually is a very kind and compassionate way to describe someone who doesn't know Jesus personally. As I heard one pastor describe, in this word lost, Jesus assumes the best in people. Think about this. So by describing someone as lost, he's not saying they're evil, unintelligent, combative, spiritually uninterested. No, he's not saying any of that. Anyone who is lost is wanting to find their way, right? If someone's lost, they are wanting to find their way. Jesus longs to seek and to save people who are wanting to find their way, but they haven't been able to get there on their own. So how does Jesus accomplish that mission? How does he help the lost find their way to him? Well, this is awesome because we discover the answer to that question in the verses that led up to this statement by Jesus. This was in verse 10. If you look earlier, there are certain circumstances that prompted Jesus to make that statement about seeking and saving the lost. He actually made this statement, not surprisingly, at the end of a meal, um, the end of a meal, where he had been eating with a chief tax collector named Zacchaeus, that wee little man, if you've heard the story, Zacchaeus. Tax collectors were hated by the Jews. They were hated by the Jews because they were fellow Jews who had sold out to the Roman government. So they worked for the Roman government. They charged Roman taxes, so they collected Rome ta taxes for Rome, but they also collected their own taxes. These exorbitant taxes that they would, uh, they would make their fellow Jews pay. So they were hated. They were despised by every Jew. No one would have dinner with a tax collector. No respectable Jew would have dinner, would hang out with a tax collector, especially a cheap tax collector like Zacchaeus. I mean, in our society, in our society, it would be like Jesus having a meal with an ISIS terrorist or uh, a pedophile or a white supremacist. See, that would make all of us really mad, right? It would make all of us really angry which is exactly how the people felt about Jesus having a meal with Zacchaeus. Look at verse seven. All the people saw this 
and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. See, this was not something that religious people did. After all, it would make them unclean. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, would not eat a meal with a sinner. With a, with a sinner. They just wouldn't, right? But Jesus did. And here's what is so critically important to notice. What happened in that meal with Zacchaeus? We don't know the details. We just know the result. Check this out. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. I mean, talk about someone's life being changed, but not, by, not because he was preached at or withdrawn from. No, it happened by being welcomed to a meal where Zacchaeus was able to encounter Jesus. So immediately after Zacchaeus stands up and he declares this very generous response to Jesus... Jesus says to the crowd who had just earlier criticized him for eating a meal with Zacchaeus, this is what he says to the crowd. Today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. See, we see here not only Jesus' mission, but his, also his method. How is he going to seek and save the lost? One meal at a time. One meal at a time. As we talked about last week, there is something uniquely powerful about sharing a meal with someone. It breaks down barriers. It levels the playing field. It provides a comfortable environment for people to share stories and, and to be present and to serve and to truly love other people. And there's actually a biblical word for this. There's a biblical word for this. It's the word hospitality. Hospitality. In Romans chapter 12, it's the letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in Rome. In Romans 12, we're commanded to, look at this, practice Hospitality. Now, that word hospitality, we learned last week, that Greek word is a combination of two words. The first word is the word phileo, which means brotherly love. And the second word is the word xenos, which means stranger or guest. Someone who is not in your, in your tribe, someone who is not in your family, someone who is not in your circle of friendships. It's loving a stranger. Now, I, I, like, I really like this definition of biblical hospitality that, that I heard a pastor give. This is what he said. Hospitality is expressing the welcome of God to all through tangible acts of love, ideally through giving food, shelter, and relationship. Now, I like that definition because it encompasses the breadth of hospitality. It is usually something that takes place in a home or apartment or dorm room or whatever, but it doesn't have to be limited to that. It could occur by inviting someone to enjoy a meal at a restaurant or a beer at a brewery. See, what, what truly characterizes hospitality is this word welcome. It's this decision to intentionally welcome someone into your space, into your life, into your mealtime. And that decision, that action opens a door for love 
and relationship, which provides this ideal environment for people to experience Jesus. It's an ideal environment for people to experience Jesus. Now, last week, we talked about the power of hospitality within the church, within the church. As we gather around tables with brothers and sisters in Christ who are not in our circle of friendships necessarily, we, people who are perhaps in a different age group or, or different ethnicity or live in a different neighborhood or whatever, as we gather with brothers and sisters in Christ like that, something magical happens. We take off our labels and Jesus becomes the center of these relationships. Grace becomes the atmosphere. It's amazing. Grace becomes the atmosphere. We become family, which is exactly what God had in mind for the church to be, a family where needs are met and where everyone is welcome and everyone is valued and everyone is celebrated and everyone contributes. See, that's what God had in mind for the church to be, this amazing, grace-filled family. And hospitality becomes this critically important way for that to happen. And we talked about that last week. But the power of hospitality goes beyond just the family of God. It is a key part of Jesus' mission <clears throat> to invite the world into relationship with him. Loving people through hospitality. The, the, please hear me. This is not about turning people into projects. It's not. This is about creating a relational atmosphere in which Jesus can work. That's what hospitality does. It just creates this relational atmosphere in which Jesus can work by us demonstrating love in a way that actually connects with our society. This is what's so cool about this. It just powerfully connects with our society because it goes after some of the unhealthy dynamics that are literally tearing our society apart right now. So a few weeks ago during the Dallas Cowboys football game, there was a, a photograph that went viral. Um, it was of Ellen DeGeneres sitting next to George W. Bush at the football game, and they were both laughing. And immediately after people saw this, this photograph, immediately a firestorm erupted on Twitter with fans of Ellen criticizing her for sitting next to a Republican president. So on her show... A few days later, she responded to this criticism. I want us to watch what she says here. Let's watch this. Let's do more than watch. Let's actually listen to it. That would be great <laughs> if we could listen to it. Such a great clip. Did what people do when they're okay, mad. Okay, can we start it over? And, uh, Is it possible? But here's one tweet that I loved. This uh, person says, Ellen and George Bush together makes me have faith in America again. Exactly. During the game, they showed a shot of George and me laughing together. Yeah. And uh, so. People were upset. They thought, why is a gay Hollywood liberal sitting next to a conservative Republican president? Didn't even notice I'm holding the brand new iPhone 11. And. But a lot of people were mad, and they did what people do when they're mad. They tweet, and, uh, but here's one tweet that I loved. This uh, person says, Ellen and George Bush together makes me have faith in America again. And, um, exactly. Here's the thing. I'm friends with George Bush. In fact, I'm friends with a lot of people who don't share the same beliefs that I have. We're all different, and I think that we've forgotten that that's okay that we're all different. For instance, I wish people wouldn't wear fur. I don't like it, but, but I'm friends with people who wear fur. And I, I'm friends with people who are furry, as a matter of fact. I have <laughs> friends who should tweeze more. And I, I have... 
But just because I don't agree with someone on everything doesn't mean that I'm not going to be friends with them. When I say be kind to one another, I don't mean only the people that think the same way that you do. I mean be kind to everyone. Doesn't matter. Okay, so Ellen DeGeneres is being a better example of Jesus than many Christ followers, okay? Um, in the, listen to me. In the midst of this tribal culture, and that's what we live in, this is a tribal culture where everyone picks their own tribe based upon how they vote or how they dress or their skin color or sexual orientation or whatever, <clears throat> and then go on social media and lambast anyone who is not in their tribe or anyone who hangs out with people who are not in their tribe. In the midst of this polarizing environment, Ellen DeGeneres provides a powerful example of what Jesus urges us, his followers, to demonstrate. We can be friends with and hang out with people who think differently than us. Now, for those of us who are Christ followers, the issue is of way more significance than simply making our, or, or, or having faith in our nation again, I think was the tweet that the person tweeted or whatever. It's, the, the issue is way more significant than, than having faith in our nation again. The issue is how we, who love Jesus, he's the most important person and thing in our lives, how we can help people find and experience forgiveness and life in Christ. Again, the, 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 not as a project, but because we love them and God loves them. See, God invites us to practice the simple and yet incredibly powerful way of Jesus, to choose to welcome to a table those outside of our tribe, those who are spiritually lost, those who are hurting and marginalized, not to preach to them some prepackaged gospel presentation, but rather to love them to ask questions, to listen to their story, to dialogue about things without getting defensive. It is not complicated. It is not complicated. Any and all of us can do this. It truly is the simplest way to change the world. It's the simplest way to change the world. Um, I borrowed that phrase, um, that title of this message from a really helpful book um, that's coaching me in this area of biblical hospitality. It's called Simplest Way to Change the World by Dustin Willis, Brandon Clements. I, I read a, a bunch of books on this subject just in preparing for uh, this, these messages. Um, and I, I just, this was a really helpful one. If you're looking for an easy to read kind of um, and practical resource to grow in this, maybe a resource your small group would want to go through. There's a study guide at the end of each chapter. I, did, I just highly recommend this book. Now, I love that title, though. I love that title because it captures how simple and yet how powerful this practice can be. It's incredibly powerful. So Rosaria Butterfield <clears throat> wrote another book on hospitality, which is also excellent. She has an amazing story, her own story, in this regard. So she was a lesbian feminist professor at Syracuse University, and she absolutely hated evangelical Christians. In her own words, she writes, those who profess the name of Jesus commanded my pity and wrath. Stupid, pointless, menacing. That's what I thought of Christians and their God, Jesus, who in paintings looked as powerful as a Breck shampoo commercial model. My only contact with Christians were people who held up placards at gay pride marches and who looked quite happy that me and everyone I loved would be going to hell. So she decided to write a book 
on the religious right and the Bible, exposing Christianity for the sham that it was. So in the midst of her research, she wrote an op-ed piece in the local newspaper criticizing um, and denouncing a Promise Keepers rally, um, which was a Christian men's event from a number of years ago, a gathering that was happening in their community. She wrote this op-ed piece criticizing it. And in response, as you can imagine, she got lots of mail, lots of letters, and, and some were very angry and argumentative, um, which she put in one pile. And then others were um, affirming, and she put those in a second pile. But there was one letter that she didn't really, she couldn't fit into either pile. It was from a local pastor. And as she read the first paragraph, she was struck by his kindness and how respectful he was towards her. And at the end of the letter, he gave his phone number and invited her to call so that, if, you know, so that they could visit further if she wanted to do that. So her first response was literally to throw this letter in the trash, and she did that. But she was thinking about it all day long. She could not get this letter out of her mind. So later that afternoon, she literally dug it out of the trash, and she called him, figuring it would be helpful for the research she was doing on her book. Um, and he said, hey, why don't we have this conversation over the dinner table, and you can meet my wife? But if that would be threatening to come to my home, we could meet in a restaurant. She responded by saying, actually, the lesbian and gay community is a community highly given to hospitality. I routinely have people in my home for dinner, people with whom I disagree, but we can talk openly. I'd love to come to your house. So she ended up going to their house against the advice of her close friends. And she found this pastor and his wife to be amazing hosts, so welcoming of her. She says, we had a lively conversation. They didn't treat me like a blank slate. I was a little afraid that I was going to have a hard time getting a word in edgewise because I figured, okay, here are evangelical Christians, and I'm a lesbian atheist, I'm a project, they're gonna have to get the gospel in, and an invitation to church, and some good scourging about my sexual sin before I get back in my car, because I might get hit by a car driving to my house, and then I, I would be, it would be their responsibility, because that's what I thought Christians believed. So I really thought, I gotta get my questions in, I gotta work hard to get my questions in to get a word in here, but it was almost as though they were there to listen and answer my questions. I was a little disarmed by the fact that what I thought would be a sparring match and debate was not. It was a gentle conversation. There was no man in my life that had ever treated me the way Ken did. His gentleness, his looking me in the eye, his treating me like I wasn't exhibit A of what not to be in the world. We had a great conversation and I learned a lot. At the end of the evening he said, I'd like to do this again. If you're up for it, if you're going to read the Bible for your research anyway, I'd, like, I'd love to help you. He did not invite me to church, and he did not share the gospel, which made me wonder if I was chopped liver. But it also made me comfortable, because it made me realize that I wasn't a project. This was not friendship evangelism. This was friendship. Over the course of the next two years, lots of meals together and discussions about the Bible and Jesus. Their friendship grew. And one Sunday morning, Rosaria woke up and realized she needed and wanted Jesus in her life. So she became a follower of Jesus. And now she uses her home as a place of welcome to neighbors and guests, people who are spiritually lost and longing to find their way. You know, as I mentioned last week, I wonder if we have made this mission of Jesus too complicated. What if it really is as simple 
as welcoming to a table people who are different than us, people who don't know Christ. See, something amazing can happen in that simple place. Something amazing can happen. In fact, look at this passage in, in the book of Hebrews, which is a book in the New Testament, a little later in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews. Check this out. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. See, you never know who you might be serving when you open your home to a guest, to a stranger, someone different, someone who is very diff different than you. In fact, Jesus, Jesus tells this parable, this story in Matthew chapter 25, where a certain group of people are, are welcomed by Jesus into his presence, and they don't know why. They don't know why they're being welcomed into his presence. And so Jesus tells them, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. There's a stranger word, xenos, same word, hospitality. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. And they're like, when did we see you hungry and give you something to eat? When did we see you? When were you a stranger and we invited you into our home? And notice what Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You did for me. When we invite into our homes, into our lives, a person who is in need, a person who is spiritually lost, a person who is not in our tribe, we are opening our home to Jesus. We are opening our home to Jesus himself. No wonder biblical hospitality is such a powerful thing. Jesus is right there whenever we do this. He is right there whenever we do this. A few days ago, I met with a couple in our church, a young couple, actually a young man in our church. Um, he's married. I was just meeting with the husband. And, and uh, he, along with his wife, they have recently, in the last few months, adopted a refugee family um, in our city through Lutheran Family Services. This is a family. They live, I don't know, just somewhere near here, um, refugee family. This is a family that has been in a refugee camp in Rwanda for the last 22 years. A refugee camp for 22 years. The father recently passed away, leaving this woman with 10 children, aged two all the way to 22. And they have nothing, really. They have a house through generosity of Lutheran Family Service, all that, but they, they have not much else. So this couple from our church has just been loving them. They've been helping the kids get clothes, at, Park and Walmart. They've been helping the kids get shots for school. They've been just doing fun things, take the museum, things like that. See, Jesus, Jesus is there. Jesus is there in the midst of that, doing powerful things, not only in the lives of this refugee family, but also in these two followers of Jesus who opened their hearts to hospitality. And what's so cool about this, this whole theme, is that all of us can do this. 
All of us can do this. All of us can practice hospitality. It doesn't have to look one particular way. We can do it in our home. If we don't live in home, we could do it in our apartment. If we don't live in an apartment, we could do it in our dorm room. We could practice hospitality at a brewery or a coffee shop or a fast food restaurant or a park or in our school cafeteria. See, the key, the key is to find creative ways to build it into our lives. So I joined a, a, a men's golf league a couple years ago, a couple summers ago, um, just kind of wanting to build some relationships, um, doing something that I enjoy, um, right? And, and I soon realized that about, it was about halfway, I'd had probably six whatever rounds with, in this league every Monday night. And, and I realized about halfway through, I'm like, guys don't talk very much uh, when we play golf, you know, these nine holes. I wouldn't even sometimes know the other, the, I mean, didn't meet their name, but nothing about them by the end of the round. I'm like, this is not really an ideal context just to find out more about people. Guys just don't talk very much on the golf course, but, and certainly not about anything really deep. But I soon discovered all of that changes after the round when we're in the clubhouse, around a table, eating dinner or having a beer, I've been able to ask guys questions about not only what they do, but whether they like what they do. I've had opportunities to offer some relational advice from a Jesus perspective. See, I'm learning that the table is an amazing place to grow deeper in relationship and to have wonderful conversations and to love people. The key here, the key is intentionality, intentionally creating space in our lives for this to happen. Be creative. Be, it doesn't have to look like me or anyone. Just be creative. What fits into your lifestyle? What fits into your rhythm? And then make the ask. Make the ask. So when Raylene and I uh, moved into our neighborhood about 20 years ago, when we moved to our neighborhood, um, no one really knew each other. No one knew each other. Um, it was kind of a new neighborhood. And so, so we decided to take Christmas cookies um, to our neighbors and just try to introduce ourselves, try to connect with them. And pretty soon we noticed that they were bringing um, Christmas cookies to us and all that. Pe people started doing this all around the, the cul-de-sac, the neighborhood. And so we decided, Raylene and I thought, hey, let's, just, let's have a barbecue in August. Let's have a, a bar barbecue where we just invite our neighbors in, into our home. And so we did that, and, and uh, you know, food, just talk, it was real simple, you know, played some cornhole, things like that, whatever. Um, and and it, it just became this awesome way for our neighbors to get to know each other. In fact, the last barbecue we had, um, we do it the last um, Sunday of August, before the week before Labor Day weekend or whatever, um, the last barbecue we had, people wouldn't leave. Um, you know, our neighbors wouldn't leave, which was awesome. So then, a few days after we started, a few years after we started that, we realized people are bringing Christmas goodies to each other, you know, those little trays and plates, and we thought, you know, why don't we just have a Christmas gathering some evening in our home? We'll provide ham, and everyone can bring their favorite Christmas dessert treat um, and another side dish or whatever. And so we started that um, several years ago. I've been doing that every year. And here's what is so cool. So over these years and these relationships, we, we've been able to pray with our neighbors when they received a cancer diagnosis. We've been able to pray with another neighbor when their son passed away. Now, Rayleigh and I, are not, we're not experts at this. <laughs> we are not experts at this. We want to grow in doing this more and more with different relational circles of people. We, we want to grow. But I will say this. That one scary decision 
for two introverts, Raylene and I are both introverts, that one scary decision for us two introverts to invite our neighbors to a barbecue some 20 years ago has opened a door for Jesus to move in our neighborhood. What would happen if instead of seeing our home or our apartment as our castle, our fortress, our retreat from the world, what if we saw it as a strategic kingdom outpost, a gift that God has given us to use as a place for welcome and laughter and food and drink and dialogue and asking questions and listening to stories and looking for natural opportunities to share our own story with Jesus? I mean, what if we partnered with Jesus to practice hospitality, loving neighbors and strangers around a table. The impact could be huge. Don't believe the lie. Don't believe the lie that you can't make an impact for Jesus in other people's lives. Don't believe the lie. You can't make an impact for Jesus in the lives of lost people around you. You can and you will as you love people around a table. You will, as you love people around a table. Let's pray. I want to take a moment, um, we're going to just, I just want to invite you to engage in a couple of things, and no pressure if you're not wherever I'm at and you don't want to, no pressure to engage. But I want those of us here who will connect with this, if you know Jesus, just take a moment and remember our life before we knew Jesus. We were strangers. We were on the outside of God's family, lost without him. Do you remember how that felt? And then he welcomed us in through his son Jesus and our lives have never been the same. That's what God wants every person to experience. And he invites you and me to be a part of that process. So Holy Spirit, would you, this is our heart, we want to help people find you. Would you help open our eyes to see people and have the courage to move beyond just our own tribe and the people that look like us and think like us and vote like us and whatever. Would you, would you help us look beyond our own tribe, whatever that tribe happens to be, and to see people and to welcome into our hearts and our homes people and to just love them? Would you help us do that, God? So if that's the desire of your heart um, to be used by God through this practice, the ministry of hospitality, I want to, we've not done this in a while, I don't think, but I just want to repeat, I'm going to give you a prayer to repeat after me, okay? And we're going to do this out loud together. Again, if, the, if you're wanting to grow in hospitality, would you repeat, just repeat, and again, let's just make this our prayer. I will prompt you, so repeat after me. Here we go, out loud, all right, here we go. Repeat after me. Father, Father. I offer to you, I offer to you my living space, my living space as a kingdom outpost.
as a kingdom outpost. I want to live a life of welcome. I want to live a life of welcome. Welcoming my neighbors, welcoming my neighbors. Welcoming the lost, welcoming the lost. Into an environment of love where they can experience you. Use us to shift the atmosphere in our culture, to shift the atmosphere in our culture from polarization, from polarization to loving connection for the glory of Jesus. God, you have heard that prayer. You have heard that prayer. This really is the cry of our heart. Use us. I want to just... And you can just keep your head bowed if you're in a prayerful attitude or whatever. But I, I want to just give another just gentle, brief invitation because there may be some of you here and you realize as you're hearing all this discussion, the story of Zacchaeus, all this, you're, like, you're realizing, I think I'm lost. And that's a really good thing to realize. It's not about condemnation. It's about realizing you're lost and that you long for a relationship with Jesus. And here's the cool thing. He's already done all the work. He died on the cross to pay for your sin and my sin. And so this relationship with him, it's actually, it's not something you can work for or try to clean up your life to, to earn or whatever. It's not. It's a gift you receive. It's so simple. It's a gift you can receive. And if that's the desire of your heart, to receive Jesus as your Savior, your Lord, to experience his forgiveness and him coming to live in you forever. If that is the desire of your heart, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. I'm not gonna make you let anyone else know what's going on. If this is just in the quiet of your heart. You don't have to do this out loud. In the quiet of your heart, just pray this prayer along with me. Dear God, I realize I need you. I'm lost without you. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. And I choose to place my trust in you. Forgive me of all of my sin and come live in me through the presence of your Holy Spirit. Change me from the inside out through the power of your love. God, I thank you for anyone who said that simple prayer and yet so powerful to open their heart and receive you. Help them grow in this amazing relationship with you that is now theirs. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. All right, well, in just a moment, you can look up now. In just a moment, we are, have the amazing privilege of seeing some people from our church family get baptized. These are all people who have admitted their need. They've already prayed to receive Christ. They've admitted their need for him. They've opened their heart to him, and they've received his forgiveness in his life. Some are young children, which is awesome. Some are not children, which is awesome. Um, but this is all about people who are wanting to publicly declare through baptism, publicly declare their personal faith in Christ. So if you are getting baptized in this service, 
we would like you and whoever is baptizing you, unless it's the pastor up here, if someone's baptizing you, both of you, if you or however many, would make your way over to the north wall and just stand along the north wall. And while you're making your way there, we want to watch a video of some of the stories of people getting baptized at Christ Community this weekend. I want to be baptized because I love Jesus. I love that he's, that he loves us and that he died on the cross for our sins. I want to be baptized so I can show the world that I love Jesus. Um, I was baptized as a baby, but I've always felt a nudge, nudging whenever I'd be at church and it'd be time for baptism. And this time I'm listening because <laughs> it's time. I want to be baptized because I love Jesus. He's, uh, he's like the best person in the world. Um, I have been battling with a lot of sins and just issues with myself and not believing in myself. And I know that God loves me and is there for me. So I just feel like this is the next step. I was going through some hard times and I was trying to move forward and be like, yes, I have Jesus with me. Um, but I was trying to do it in my own expectations. And I think it got to the point where I like, this, like, you can't control everything. And it was just, it was a good moment for me to realize, like, what was going on. And I wanted to um, just grow in my relationship with him. Um, and I feel like baptism is the next step to do that. The thing that I love about Jesus is um, they saved me when I had um, a big problem happening. I want to be baptized because um, I want to worship God. I want to be baptized because I feel like that is my next step to proving I can actually show my religion and faith to other people without being embarrassed about it. I felt the presence of Jesus when I was young, and then as I got older, I kind of lost that feeling. And, um, and then I felt like I truly didn't know Jesus at all. I was like really angry with the religion I was in because I felt like I just really never really knew him that well. And so um, recently I had um, a friend that passed away and um, they were really always giving, always had a smile on their face and um, I want a purpose. I was very self-centered and um, I thought that my way was the only way. And that way has taken me to many places that I never, I never thought I would, I would be at or, the, or things that I never thought I'd be doing. And so um, now I know that I have a purpose and I know that I've been forgiven for all those, all those things. And um, I'm just ready to commit my life to God. I want to be baptized because from the last year I've had a very traumatic experience, I guess. Um, a year ago, November 25th, my husband, Ralph, survived a cardiac arrest. It's been a very 
emotional year for me. And just lately, I felt being, becoming overwhelmed with everything. But I know God has been with us and he will, he's continued to help me through the trial moments and taking care of him as well as my daughter. And I've asked him to help me through really tough times and he has and I thought for me, this is a way to tell God, yes, I follow him and he has listened.